Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of Crossroads Church in Sandy, Utah. Join us as we listen to a sermon from a recent Sunday morning service. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, Genesis and Exodus. Chapter 20 contains the famous Ten Commandments, or what the Bible calls the Ten Words. Throughout the sermon, you'll hear me me refer to them either as the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. I just kind of go back and forth, but I'm referring to the same thing. Last week, we considered the commandment about Sabbath rest. This Sunday, we come to the Fifth Commandment, one that is very familiar, especially to parents and to children. The Fifth Commandment dealing with relationships within the household and within society at large has broader implications than just the relationships between parents and children. But I'm going to focus most of my comments and applications to the household and to the parent and child relationship. Now I think I should mention at the outset of this sermon, that this is the kind of sermon that could die the death of a thousand qualifications. It's just the kind of sermon that lends itself to application that could be qualified in a thousand ways. And I'm not always going to do that today. So I hope you will give me the benefit of the doubt if I don't qualify every application. Sometimes we just need to let statements land on us with the force in which they land on us. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, this is the Lord's word to his people. We pick up in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we tremble before your word. Lord, we love your word. It is indeed our life. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I pray that you would feed us, that you would nourish us, that you would strengthen us. Lord, even as we get a glimpse into your own righteous character through the standard of your law. And we are reminded of how far short we fall of your glory. Pray that you would always point us to the grace and the hope that is in Christ. And Lord, even as we have our own struggles and failures and sins as parents and as children, Lord, we pray that the law would drive us to the cross and there be so overcome with your forgiveness and your love and your grace that we would move out from here walking not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, preparing this sermon was a bit of a roller coaster of feelings between excitement and joy, feeling of urgency and sorrow, conviction for my own shortcomings as a parent. 
Maybe it's the season of life that I am in as a father with six children in the household. This text landed on me with an extra weight and sense of urgency. Or maybe a conversation about children and parenting feels like high priority because of our current cultural moment. Or maybe it's because what seems to be an indifference in broader evangelicalism about the importance of family discipleship. We live in a culture, in a society that is at war with God's design for families. We live in a culture that is at war with God's design for marriage, for parenting, and for children. Everywhere you turn in our society, our culture is attempting to redefine the family. You turn on movies or even go to a play like I did last year in Sandy and some of the child's characters have two moms or two dads supposedly married to each other. In many stories and movies in our culture, the kids are the heroes and the parents are the buffoons. The kids have it figured out. They have a window into reality and the parents are kind of the misguided characters in the story out of touch with reality. Our society is attempting to normalize a version of the family that is at war with God's design. Many kids in our country are growing up confused about such basic issues as what it means to be a boy and a girl. I was talking with George Guthrie, who spoke for the Salt Lake School of Theology Colloquium on Friday, and he lives in Vancouver, Canada, and he was sharing stories how some of the kids in that area would come home from school, the boys crying, because they were afraid they were going to suddenly transform into a girl. In some parts of this country, there's a growing anti-child ideology. Young women are led to believe that a child growing in their womb is a clump of cells that is part of their body and they can dispose of as they wish. Many of them feel hopeless, due not only to their own sin, but because the father of that child is nowhere to be found. And when fathers are nowhere to be found, the result is a culture of death and destruction, poverty and loss. The anti-child ideology is also apparent in that men and women are told to delay marriage, make sure you have a successful career, a certain income, before you get married, and definitely before you have children, if you should have children at all. Women are told that they will be more fulfilled if they build a successful career than if they rear children. Instead of being considered a blessing, children are viewed as a hindrance to true human flourishing. We live in a backwards culture. We're not just rebellious in our culture, and in this country, we are sinfully broken. Some of you may have come from deeply broken households, households where dad was absent or abusive, households where mom was absent or abusive. He abandoned the family. She abandoned the family. Some of you might be estranged from your parents to this day, and the hurt runs deep. The fifth commandment has so much to say to us 
fifth commandment is also an urgent matter for Christian parents. We live in a time in church history where churches are highly programmatic and less familial. We live in an American church culture where kids often pick the church that the family will go to. Now, I don't mean that the kids tell their parents, hey, this is where we're going. What I mean is that parents will pick the church for their kids based on what programs and activities will keep their kids happy. There tends to be a very high emphasis on what the church can offer children. Church needs to offer children things. But that's often at the expense of an emphasis on calling fathers to take responsibility for the discipleship of their children. We need to hear the fifth commandment afresh. I need to hear it again and again. Exodus 20:12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Some would argue that this fifth commandment starts the second table of the law, the first table focusing on the vertical relationship between people and God, how we are to worship Him. The second table of the law, dealing with those horizontal relationships with how we are to relate to one another and to our neighbors. And in a real sense, those commandments in the second table of the law about not stealing and not murdering and not committing adultery depend on this first commandment children learn to obey your parents. The reason it stands as the first of these commandments that define our horizontal relationship. The implications for this fifth commandment are way bigger than the household family. This command is not just about little Benjamin listening to mommy and daddy when they tell him to share his toys. It is about that. But the command is so much more. The fifth commandment is a word about God's design for the family. It is a command about how to promote human and societal flourishing. The fifth commandment also points us to a son who perfectly obeyed his father on our behalf. So let's look at this fifth word. Notice first, the basic command is to honor one's parents. Now the command is not just for small children, those small children, I hope you will listen. This boring guy up here, as much as you can. It is a word for adult children as well. So this isn't a sermon just for kids. What does it mean to honor your father and your mother. The word for honor here is the Hebrew word that means more literally weight. We often translate it glory. This word kavod, kaved. So we could say the command here is to make heavy your mother and your father. A children that doesn't mean like feed them lots of donuts or something. It means to consider them heavy is to honor them, to revere them, 
to respect them. Don't consider them lightweights. This word is often used in the Bible with reference to God and His glory, His weightiness, His value, His importance. There's a story about David's son Absalom in the Old Testament who was a very fine-looking man, if I could say it that way. And he had majestic hair. Some of us don't have that problem. But what the Bible says is that Absalom would cut his hair and he would weigh it. The same word. Showing us that what Absalom's glory in, what his boast was in, was his physical strength and vitality. There's another story in the Old Testament about Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who are corrupt priests. They are immoral men. And Eli doesn't do anything about it, so God comes to Eli and basically says, why do you regard your sons as more weighty than me? Why do you regard me as a lightweight and them as heavyweights? And God says, the one who honors me, I will honor. But the one who dishonors me, I will regard them as lightly esteemed. So the command to honor your father and mother means to honor them, to glorify them, not in a worshipful sense, but in regarding them with the proper respect and importance and honor that they deserve. So children, you are to honor your parents like you would show honor to God. Your parents are not God, and they must submit to God, but the way you honor your parents is similar to the way you would honor the Lord. What does that look like? Well, it looks like you trust them. God calls us to trust Him, and as children, we are to be inclined to trust our parents. But they have our best interests in mind, and when they are telling us to do things that we don't really understand or want to do, that we will trust their good judgment. To honor your parents means to speak well of them. We praise God and we should praise our parents, not in a worshipful sense. See the qualifications that are coming. We should speak well of them. We should not grumble or complain about our parents to our peers and to our friends. Oh, they just don't understand. Oh, they are so harsh. And we should honor them and speak well of them. To honor our mother and father means we receive their correction. The Lord disciplines us for our good, and we are called to receive that correction. And as children, we should receive the correction of our parents and learn from it and grow from it and not despise it. For it is an act of love towards you. To honor our mother and father is overall to regard them as weighty. Regard them as God's good gift to you because that is what they are. Not in every instance because there are bad parents too. There are abusive parents. Children, whatever age, kids, teenagers, hear what I'm saying. Parents are full of wisdom and knowledge, and understanding. They understand how the world works. 
They have been in situations that you have been in. They have lived through those difficulties and have gone through so much life lessons that they are just a treasure trove of wisdom and knowledge. And they want to bring all that to bear for your well-being. Regard them as weighty. It is just incredible how much wisdom and insight parents have. Think about this, kids. There is nobody in the whole world, nobody in the whole world, seven billion people who care more about your success, your well-being, your flourishing than your parents. There is no friend, there is no peer, there is no social media influencer who lies awake at night thinking about how to maximize your physical and spiritual well-being in the world. There is no other person who strategizes on a daily basis as to how they might best shepherd you and shape you for your good. Why would you not honor them, revere them, respect them? The command for his adult children as well. Adult sons and daughters are to honor their parents. That means they should be ready to care for them and help them, especially in their older years. Remember when Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees for not honoring their parents because with their extra money, they said it is Corbin that is given to God and they wasn't, wouldn't use their funds to care for their parents in need? And Jesus rebuked them for it? I wonder how many pastors have ever preached a sermon on giving and said, look, maybe you need to stop giving so much money to the church and start caring for your family. That's what Jesus said to these religious people. Adult children are to honor their parents, to consider them weighty. And I think it is appropriate here to make a broader application to the church. The Westminster Larger Catechism asks questions about each of the Ten Commandments, and there is so much thought put into the questions and the answer. Question 124 asks this question of the Fifth Commandment. Who are meant by father and mother in the Fifth Commandment? Here's the answer. By father and mother in the Fifth Commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in a place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. All superiors in age and gifts. In many cultures around the world, the elderly are highly esteemed. They are revered and respected. In American culture, we tend to celebrate youth and innovation and novelty. And it seems that in some instances, our culture's celebration of youth and a general dismissal of the elderly has also crept into the church. Here's what I mean. It seems that many young Christians and pastors and church planters want to do everything in their power to disassociate with the traditions of their fathers and their grandfathers, to the point where it has even been marketed by some churches 
that they will publicize themselves as this is not your grandmother's church. And there's an impulse in us that likes that because we view it as missional. But think about the backwards mentality that we would want to disconnect ourselves from the wisdom of our fathers and our grandmothers and our grandfathers. We should revere superiors in age and in position. We should want churches that are multi-generational, not disassociate with our heritage, our tribe, with the wisdom of those saints. Consider father and mother. Consider superiors in age weighty. Notice secondly, this command has broader implications than just the immediate household. I've already said that, but let's look at it in the verse. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That your days may be long in the land. So what is the reason for the command to honor your father and mother? That your days may be long in the land. Now, I think there's an immediate societal and national aspect to that promise and also a redemptive aspect to it. So first, the societal and national aspect. Children must learn to submit to authority in the home so that they will learn to submit to authority in society. If Israel is to survive as a nation, then the children need to grow up in households where they learn how to submit to authority and so learn how to relate to other people in a civil society and not be a menace to society. I know that our culture doesn't like the word hierarchy, but hierarchies are everywhere and they are necessary in a civil society. God has built hierarchical relationships into the fabric of our world. The home is hierarchical. Children are to submit to mom and dad. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to submit to God along with everyone else. The workplace is hierarchical. We must submit to our managers, our bosses, our leadership. Governments are hierarchical. And government authorities, the Bible says, are ministers of God to maintain order and justice in a society. Even bad governments are better than no governments. Even bad governments. I am not a proponent of bad governments. I don't like tyranny just as much as you, freedom-loving freedom -loving Americans, don't like tyranny. But even bad governments are better than no governments because bad governments still maintain order. And without governments, everyone starves. Everyone dies. Just look at the history of the world. I won't digress here too much, but the point is that a child who doesn't learn to submit to parental authority is going to be an adult that wreaks havoc on his or her own life and in society at large. How many studies, statistical studies, have to be done to all affirm the same thing? The bulk of the prison population is made up of men who grew up without fathers in the home. The home is the fundamental and foundational building block of society at large. Children learn how to relate to others 
how to relate to authority, how to develop a moral compass and the virtue of restraining their sinful passions in the context of the household. This is why so many social reform efforts, and we even well-intentioned efforts to transform a society and do things like relieve poverty, are not that effective. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. The reason so many of them are not that effective is because they're aimed at symptoms, but not the root. A society that is going to be transformed is going to be transformed at the level of the household. Marriage is society's most fundamental institution, and the family is the building block for all else. Think about this for a moment. In the book of Deuteronomy, when Israel is on the edge of the promised land, and they are about to go into the land and be this nation, Moses gives them the law again, Deuteronomy, second law. And he assembles the people together. It's like this political rally. You know, we've got a lot of political rallies going on in our country where, where people are laying out a vision for America. Well, what would Moses say to this nation as they're about to go into the promised land? Well, he says in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, what does he say next? Love God? What's the very next thing he says? These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Israel, this nation, what is important? Teach your children the law of God. It's incredible. And if you want to get even more specific, the verbs in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6 are masculine singular verbs. And the word translated children is sons. And that is intentional in the Hebrew. Because what Moses is telling them is if you fathers teach your sons, everyone prosper. You won't have poverty. You won't have women uncared for, looking for alternative options of how they're going to survive. Teach your sons and the world flourishes. You know, the violation of this commandment could incur the death penalty in the nation of Israel. To fail to honor one's parents. Now, I don't think in Israel, parents were going around stoning children. There's, in fact, no single example of anyone ever being put to death for a violation of the fifth commandment. But nevertheless, it was prescribed as a penalty, the death penalty for violation. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21 for a second. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. 
Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. You see, I think even here we're meant to understand that this rebellious son is a grown son. And his rebelliousness in being a drunkard and a glutard has become known at a societal level. He is a menace to the society and could legitimately, under Israel's law, incur the death penalty so that Israel can survive as a nation. Second, I think there's some redemptive aspects to the fifth commandment as well, in terms of what it means to live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The fifth commandment is not just about social structures. It's about perpetuating worship from one generation to the next. The land for Israel is the place where God was going to dwell with his people. The land is a type of Eden, and it points forward to the new creation. Children are to learn to honor their parents so that they learn to honor God, so that they will dwell in the presence of God forever and participate in true worship. Think about this. Children learn to regard God as weighty when they learn to regard their parents as weighty. A child learns how to honor and trust and follow and revere God by learning to honor and trust and revere his or her parents. Now we know, we know, beloved, how anyone, no matter the age, boy or girl, young or old, comes to a saving faith in Christ. That will only ever happen through the power of the new birth. That will only ever happen when God reaches down and saves someone by his grace and his mercy and his sovereignty. We cannot make our children believers, true worshipers. We know that. But we can teach them the gospel. We can pray in our household. We can instruct them on who God is what a Christian worldview is. We can bring them to church. We can show them that we really do believe in Jesus and that he rose from the dead and his word is true. We cannot save our children, but we are called to actively and intentionally disciple them and shepherd them. And often God will use that as a means to bring those young people saving faith. In Christ. Here's the instruction from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. He repeats the fifth commandment. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children will be set up to live a long and productive life in the world if they learn to obey their parents. And they will live a forever life in a new heavens and new earth if they embrace their parents' teaching 
about the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that as parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children the Word of God. We are to model true repentance, true belief in the household, and to teach the gospel to our kids. This is the task that God has given to parents, especially to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Because God doesn't do that. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This one verse deserves another sermon. But the point is that parents, and especially fathers, are to invest heavily, not just in their children's physical and academic and athletic well-being, but their spiritual well-being. Bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And how wonderful to hear the sound of a baby while I am preaching a sermon on this text. I hope we hear more of that in the weeks ahead. Praise God. Discipline and instruction are manifestations of love. And they both require investment, time, intentionality. It means shepherding our children in both formal ways, like family devotions, and we're going to open up the Bible, and we're going to read it, and we're going to sing some songs. And it means informal ways, like when you rise, and when you walk, and when you lie down, that you are actively engaged in discipling and shepherding their young hearts and modeling for them love for God and his church. Don't be surprised if you complain and complain and complain about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that your kids grow up to resent the church. You know, I could weep for joy over all of the volunteers of this church who teach Sunday school, the kids, who open up their homes for the youth ministry. I mean, this is just awesome that you care about my kids. And I want to open up my home more. February 9th, youth come to our house, right? I want to, I want to invest in you, have a relationship with you, and we need to build that and encourage that and foster that. And let's do that while also not abdicating the responsibility that we have as parents to shepherd our children. Fathers, especially. You know, as a pastor, I am particularly militant about fighting any way my ministry could inhibit my children's perception of the church. You know how kids, pastors' kids grow up and they they feel like dad loved the church more than them. That is not true. I want my kids to hear me say that publicly about me. But I'm particularly sensitive to how I could do something like that. And you know what I would never do? I would never make my kids walk four miles to church. I would just be like, they're going to resent me. They're going to resent the church. You know, I think sometimes, especially in a context like we're in, or with small churches, we think we're failing our kids because we're not giving them everything that they could have in other contexts. I don't believe that's true. Let me tell you a story. 
Mexico, there's this missionary, you know about him, John Patton, the New Hebrides years and years ago, who went to these cannibal people. And one of the most incredible missionaries the world has ever known. When he grew up, his dad made him and his siblings walk to church when they didn't have cars. They had to walk four miles. Like one of those stories, I used to walk uphill four miles both ways to school. It's not like that. Here's what Patton said about that experience every Lord's Day. He said, each of us from very early days considered it no penalty, but a great joy to go with our Father to the church. The four miles were a treat to our young spirit. You know why that was the case? Because the impact and the love of a father for his children is incalculable. And kids want that. More than movies or a nice house or entertainment, they want mom and dad to love them. And these kids considered it a joy to spend time with their father who loved church and loved God. The fifth commandment is a needed word, beloved. It's not a word that is meant to leave us in a cesspool of guilt. There was a lot of tears shed over this sermon, writing it. We're too in touch. We are very in touch with our own failures. It's meant to give us hope. You know, I said earlier, there's no example in the Bible of a son being put to death for a violation of the fifth commandment. But that's, I mean, that's true, but it's kind of not true. The one example in the Bible about someone being put to death on the basis of this commandment, though he was not guilty, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true obedient son who never disobeyed his father. And I was reading from Luke 7 in my devotional reading just recently. And in Luke 7, the Pharisees and the religious leaders come to Jesus. And you know what they say? Well, Jesus tells us what they said of them. This is Luke 7, 33, verse 30 through 35. They said, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. You say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sin. He's a menace to He deserves to be put to death on the basis of Deuteronomy 21, a glutton and a drunkard, a rebellious son. And the irony is, he's the faithful son. He's the one who is always obedient to his father and came to do his father's will, which was redeem disobedient children. And they crucified him on a cross. 
And yet, in the wisdom of God, Jesus' death on the cross was the supreme act of obedience to his Father. And through his, dis- through his obedience in life and in death, we have been given the grace of forgiveness. We have been given the spirit of adoption to be brought into God's family and know the love of the Father. Some of you had bad, abusive fathers. God is not like Some of you, even today, the anger and the frustration still controls you. But don't you see? Jesus was treated as a disobedient son so that you could be brought into the love of the Father and the Son, controlled by that no longer. So that you could be set free to have the love of Christ work through you and to extend forgiveness and grace. These most intimate relationships that should be the cause of the most joy, but often bring the most pain. Jesus came to establish a kingdom where the hearts of sons would be turned to their fathers and fathers to their sons. And beloved, if you are in Christ here today, then you have the strength to honor your father and mother, no matter your stage of life. And as parents, have the grace do what God has called us to do. Teach our children to bring them up the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. God will help us. He will strengthen us. He will forgive us when we fall. Why not embrace that task? Let's do it. Encourage one another. Thank you for the example you are to me this season of life. Let's Father in heaven, I pray for the, those here today who had fathers that weren't like you, who brought so much devastation and hurt and pain. I pray that that would not inhibit them from understanding your character. You are not an absent father. You are not a father who abdicates responsibility. You are not abusive. You do not exasperate. Oh, help them to know the love of the Father manifest in the sacrifice of the Son. Lord, I pray that as parents, you would give us the diligence to persevere in the task of bringing up a generation of children who will walk in your ways. Lord, there's perhaps no sphere in life where we are confronted with our own shortcomings than in our own marriages, 
and in our parenting. So Lord, that's why we look to you and we plead on behalf of our children and for the sake of their souls that they would be enthralled, awakened, changed by the truth of the resurrection of the Messiah. That they would want nothing more in life than to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh God, would you grant them your Holy Spirit? And Lord, we thank you that it does not rest on us. But there is much grace in Christ day by day for the task you have given us. Help mothers to exemplify those traits of nurturing, and care, correction, and love. Fathers to demonstrate those characteristics of leadership, of love, investment. And would you be pleased to save all the children, oh God, every single one of them, who are part of the families of this body. As they have heard the gospel, let none perish. Let none perish. Lord, as we now come to your Lord's table, feed us, not with the elements themselves as the power, Lord, but through the communion that comes with your spirit. And strengthen us to go out in Jesus. Amen. We trust God will use this sermon in your life. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like more information about Crossroads, email us at info at crossroadschurchutah.org. That's info at crossroadschurchutah.org.